Andy and Richard David are here from World Christian Ministries. We go back thousands of years together. Or does it just seem like that? But we go back a long way. It's it's great to have you here. Come on, Rachel. You're going to give her a big cheer because she's got the power. Good morning, everybody. Now, because it is kind of a bit of a ladies' weekend here, Andy has been teasing me about the fact that he is just my Bible carrier for the weekend. So actually, I'm going to get him to come up here and do something as he's been moaning all weekend. (laughs) So I'm going to let him introduce who we actually are and get him to do something rather than carry the box and bags and stuff. See, I'm just a Bible carrier. I'm just, you know, as a good husband, I'm just prepared to serve my wife. Peter, you should learn all about this. We've got the great privilege of, of leading an organization called World Christian Ministries. And part of what we do, we work in India, in Philippines, and Ethiopia, and from next year into Uganda. And what we're after doing is impacting people's lives with a simple truth that Jesus loves them. Everything that we do and every avenue that we go down has that ultimate reason of just telling somebody, probably for the first time, that Jesus loves them. You know, we can go and we can get on a plane and we can go and we can go into, into certain areas, but what we can't do is go to the, the, the areas that are miles away from anywhere. And that's what we try to do. We try to, so like, for the want of a better word, get the nationals to go where we can't go, to actually give them the tools and finance and everything else like that just to go and just share the simple truth. We don't want to overcomplicate things. Sometimes missions organizations take something that is very, very simplistic and make it very, very complicated. We don't want to do that. You know, one guy said to me not long back, he said, do you want a large organization or do you want an organization that has a large impact? And I stopped for a minute and I had to think, what do I want out of this? You know, and naturally, sometimes we strive for a large organization so we can say that we feed X amount of children, that we care for X amount of widows. But, you know, when it comes down to it, I stopped and I thought, and everything within me naturally wanted that large organization. But when I stopped and actually thought about it, I want an organization that has a large impact. I want to see lives changed. I want to see people know, come to know Jesus. I want to see their lives turned upside down and lives impacted. You will see on all of our literature a very simple phrase of changing someone's world. That's what we're about in whatever avenue we can, whether it's through the widows, whether it's through the feeding programs, through the Bible college students, whatever we do, that's what we're about. Part of what we do is Rachel has, has in the last few last year, I would say, has birthed, that sounds the wrong phraseology completely, But hey, no, we've only got the one daughter, Phil. We had the sense to stop at one. (laughs) But you know, Rachel has has seen, we've seen something called women of worth grow very, very quickly. And it's amazing how God can plant something that is a very small seed and for that small seed to go very, very quickly. You know, Rachel will explain about that. I've said what I'm going to say. This is all about Rachel today. It's about women of worth. So here we go. Thank you. Okay, well, that was a very quick overview of World Christian Ministries. So, uh, hopefully you got the gist that we have children's homes, we have feeding programs, we help widows, and uh, we actually provide them with practical aid 
So we actually help people living in abject poverty and we help them practically because we don't believe we can teach them about the love of Jesus without actually feeding them and clothing them and helping them in that way as well, showing them the love of Jesus in a practical way as well. But as Andy said, in the last uh, year or so, uh, something called Women of Worth, or WOW, as we like to call it, has kind of happened. And, and I'll explain the journey of that and how you're going to be involved in WOW as well. And when I first went to India for the very first time, when we took over World Christian Ministries, I was so excited because I was going to meet my sponsor child that Andy and I had sponsored for 10 years for the very first time. What an amazing privilege to go and meet the child that you sponsor. Incredible. I was so excited. I couldn't wait to do that. And I couldn't wait to see the children in the children's homes and uh, go and visit the feeding programs and things like that. But we actually supported a small group of widows in southern India at that time. And as part of the travels, we went to visit them as well, just to make sure the project was running smoothly, making sure that the money was getting through, that they were being helped. And they meet once a week on a Saturday morning, and we provide them with food, we provide them with uh, hygiene items, and they come together for friendship and support. And what I wasn't prepared for was the impact that they would have on my life when I first went to see them. Because we walked into this little room and I kind of expected some dejected old widows, sort of hunched over, looking really miserable because they had nothing. And instead, I walked into this room of vibrant women praising God with everything they had. They were dancing, clapping. The noise was deafening. They were... Uh, just, just amazing. And, uh, and when we stood and we, we talked with them and um, spent some time with them, they were just coming up. They were giving us big kisses, uh, covering us with kisses, toothless kisses, curry-smelling kisses. They were big smackaroonies, I can tell you. And, you know, we, we actually bought them a sari each, and we handed them the saris um, because they don't actually have new outfits, except for when we buy them one new outfit every year. That's all they have, ladies. Can you imagine that? And, uh, you know, they were just so grateful. When we handed them the saris, you would think we would handed them a thousand pounds. They were cupping our faces in gratitude. They all wanted to pray over us. It was incredible. And I sort of walked out of that room, choked up, and I just looked at the project leader and I just said, that's, that's just so amazing. And she said, aren't they amazing? She said, you know, they have nothing. You should see where they live and what they have. So I arranged uh, sort of, uh, to go and see where they lived and what they had in, in my travels. And do you know, they have nothing. They have a shack with no running water, uh, maybe a plastic chair and a mat on the floor to sleep on, and a few cooking pots and pans. That really is the extent of what they have. Usually in a, a very slum kind of area, rubbish strewn around. It doesn't smell too good. The flies follow you in. <laughs> it's really not nice. And, uh, you know, but they are so full of joy because they have Jesus. And one of these women, um, she was a great lady. She's 92 years old. She's called Kutimar. And uh, she lives in one of these little shacks. And uh, we said to her, we went into her home and we said, do you mind if we take your photo? And she said, oh, I wish you'd come 10 years ago. I looked a lot better then. <laughs> And she had a great sense of humor, and she was telling us uh, that she still went to work because, you know, there's no pension, no social security, and if you don't have any family to support you, you really have nothing. So at 92, she works in a rice warehouse, and her pay, her wage, is to keep what she sweeps to eat. 
So at the end of the day, she takes home what she's swept up and she has to pick all the dirt and the bits out of it before she prepares that for her meal. Now, she comes to our widow's program. We give her extra food. That's not all she has to eat. We give her extra food. We give her some hygiene items. But, you know, we try to provide her with friendship and support. And she said to me, every day I walk to work, I go with joy because Jesus is my saviour. She can't read or write. She has no Bible. And yet she knows that God and Jesus love her. And you know, that just touches me so much. When I was in Ethiopia, uh, we visited the children's program. We have a children's program in the slums of Addis Ababa. And uh, we went to visit the children in the families that they live in. And again, I was really looking forward to seeing the children and uh, you know, being part of, of seeing what, what we, we were doing there. But actually, Ethiopia really shocked me. The, the actual poverty there was just incredible. And a lot of the kids live with their mums, and their husbands have either died of AIDS or they've been abandoned. So these women are single parents bringing up their kids with nothing. They, they actually work as, usually as daily labourers, and they earn five pounds a month. Uh, that's it. And they can barely afford one meal a day. So we actually give them extra food for the children and for the family. But one of these ladies, I was in their home, and she was a grandma. And she had one daughter. Her husband had died. Her daughter's husband had abandoned her. And she had her four grandchildren living in one shack, which is probably the size of my daughter's play shed in the garden. And... Uh, it was sort of cow dung repair on the wall. It was very dark. And, you know, we were talking with this old lady, and I could really tell she obviously wasn't very well. Um, and uh, she had some kind of maybe arthritis and couldn't walk really very well. And I just asked the project leader, I just said, where does she go to the toilet? Strange question. But I was just looking around, and we'd walked through these slums, and, um, you know, she had no, no kitchen. She never had hot meals because she had nowhere to cook them. And uh, so I just asked, and the NTC asked the question, and she said, I don't have anywhere to go to the toilet. I'm not even allowed to use the slum toilets, um, because I guess she's just even lower than the ones that have the use of those toilets. And um, she said, I have to beg if I want to use the toilet. And I just looked at this old lady, and something within me just thought, she deserves so much more than that. She's brought up her daughter. She's bringing up her granddaughters. And, you know, she deserves dignity. How, having to beg to use a toilet, that's just horrible. And so, you know, I, I came back from Ethiopia really, really choked up with the women that I'd seen there. One woman um, is bringing up her two boys by herself, and she was just so grateful. She kept hugging us because we were helping her children. And I just thought, we've got to do something for those women. As well as the children, we have to do something for those women. So we came back and we started a very small work there. Because, you know, you have to do everything in chunks. I would actually like to rescue every single woman in that slum. And maybe one day that will be possible. But you have to start somewhere. You have to start and make a difference to somebody. So we took ten of the women and we've been supporting them ever since. And uh, this year I've been very, very much... Um, trying to raise the profile of women of worth. And so I've been applying for grants wherever I could. And I'm really pleased and excited to say that I got a grant of £7,500 to increase my work with women of worth in Ethiopia. And so we can now take on another 50 women and support them for the year. And also, that's fantastic, isn't it? 
And do you know what struck me about that, which I find really exciting, is, you know, kind of when you go through a really, really hard time and you wonder where the light at the end of the tunnel is? And I just think those women there going through this really, really hard time. And actually, when I go next June, they don't know that their lives are going to change. Isn't that amazing and exciting? That help is on its way for them. They don't know it yet, but it, it's on, on its way. And so, uh, so we have, have this grant so we can actually help uh, these women. And, you know, our children, the, the girls coming up through the program, there isn't a lot of employment necessarily in Ethiopia. And we were deeply, deeply saddened that one of our children, it's only happened to one, and we've been supporting 100, and they've been coming through the program, and many have left and got employment. But one of our girls couldn't find employment. And we were written to to say that, sadly, she had chosen to go into prostitution as a means of survival. And I just, when I got that letter, I just thought, never, never again do I want that to ever happen to one of the girls who we have educated. She has had a really good standard of education. How sad that there is nothing for her to go to except for that. So as part of this grant, we are using some of the money to take the girls that are now at the end of the education program. We are going to put them through university and further training to become business managers and nurses so that they can run the Women of Worth Centre there in Cabena. So it's a full circle. And, uh, and also, uh, all this is kind of going on. And... Um, what we actually do, and this is kind of the, the surprise that Peter's been talking about. I don't know if it's going to be a pleasant surprise, but it's a surprise for you ladies. Okay. In order to fundraise, what we do is we hold wow walks, women of worth walks, women walking for women, raising the profile of those living in abject poverty. And uh, part of the money from this goes to use to um, supporting these women with the food and education and things like that. And, but we want these women to feel really special because in this country we have opportunities to feel special. We have opportunities, uh, you know, we, we can go to work, we have free speech, we have all these opportunities. Uh, not only that, we can go shopping and buy ourselves something nice. Maybe we can have a bit of a pamper every now and then. I don't know, whatever, but we have lots of opportunities. And I want these women to feel so special because we work amongst women that actually are outcasts of society. And that annoys me because, you know, society has put upon them that they are nothing. And that makes me angry because actually, in God's eyes, they are incredibly precious people. And I don't like the fact that they are oppressed, that they are so poor that people step over them in the streets. That makes me angry. And so we want to give them the message that there is a God who loves them, that Jesus died for them because he loves them so much that they are precious. And so we hold wow days, women of worth days. When we go there, I take a team of women and uh, we had our first one last January. It lasted three days. We kind of extended it. And we treat them like they've never been treated before. You should see the amount of food we put on with them. And you are unbelievable how much these little women can eat. Oh my goodness. I couldn't eat half of what they had on their plates. Andy probably couldn't eat what they had on their plates. And that's saying something. <laughs> we fed them like royalty. We pampered them. We painted their nails. And you know, there's some men. Men don't feel left out of this whole thing because we support widowers. That's right, isn't it? Widowers, yes. And they didn't want to miss out. So we bought them shirts. We didn't buy them saris. We bought them a new shirt each. 
but actually they didn't want to miss out on anything. And they had their feet washed and massaged. We gave them hand massages. And we thought they won't want their nails painted. So we'd had a different room for them to go to. But they did. They didn't want to miss out on anything. If the women were there, they were going to be in it. And so we have this picture of this man praying like this with bright red nail varnish <laughs> on his hands. So, you know, we actually want to go to these countries and go and serve these women and make them feel really special. So this is what we fundraise to do. So in September, I held lots of walks around the country and we raised 8,000 pounds, isn't that incredible, uh, to do all, all this from walking. And so, ladies and men, because you will be involved too, ladies, on the 2nd of April 2011, which is mothering weekend, Mothering Sunday weekend, we have planned, Jane and I have been, have been plotting, and we have planned a walk for you, okay? Now, it's in advance, you've got lots of time to train, it's 12 miles long, but, you know, you have easy here, I come from hilly Devon, we did a 15 mile hilly walk, okay? I haven't seen a hill round here, so you're going to get it easy, okay? And it's only 12 miles, okay? So 12 miles on the flat, you've got five months to train for this, and uh, you'll be walking to raise money for these widows, for these women who live in poverty. Not only that, you will be raising awareness, because we ask everybody to wear pink. Um, you can buy a nice wow t-shirt, a wow t-shirt, okay? So everybody... Wow, you know, you can look good in your pink t-shirt. And uh, Jane uh, is planning the route, and uh, so I have all the registration forms here. You can register today. If you pledge to raise £100 more, you get a free t-shirt. How good are we? Okay, you don't have to raise the £100, and you can buy a t-shirt for only £5. What a bargain. Uh, and... Um, so, there is no minimum that you have to raise, okay? But my kind of philosophy is, if you've got 50 women raising £100 each, that's £5,000. Isn't that incredible? Bring a friend along. You know, I probably, there probably must be 25 women at least here. Bring a friend. Bring two friends. It's a great day out. I often say that our jaws get the most exercise because it's chat, 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 chat all the way. And uh, it's a really great fun day. It will end with food here at the church. So you get some food as well because you've deserved it at the end of that walk. And men, what we're asking you to do is help out, okay? We're going to need transport. We're going to need water stops. Uh, we're going to need maybe, you know, somebody to carry the first aid kit uh, and do the walk uh, as well, perhaps as well. So, and also, just be aware that your wife on Mothering Sunday might be a little bit shattered. So you can help out by cooking the dinner on Mothering Sunday and looking after your exhausted wife. Andy drove our minibus very, very well, shall I say, on that day. He did such a good job. And it was tough for him, yes, but he drove the minibus very well. So uh, that's, that's how you can get involved in helping women of worth. And actually, you know, for me, 
I hate the fact that women across the world are oppressed, they don't have a voice. It says in Proverbs, speak up for those who have no voice. Stand up for justice. So let's do something and stand up and make a difference in our world for these women. I've got a very uh, short DVD clip uh, which shows you uh, the work that we did, uh, the women's conference that we did in India uh, back in January. So uh, are you kind of ready to go with that? Fantastic. It just gives you a little taster anyway. You've had some pain You've shed some tears You've said a prayer For so many years You've wondered why You've wondered when You've started to doubt If you've ever been hurt I've seen Women of Worth Conference was held at Bethel City Cathedral from 28th to 30th January 2010. This is the first conference in the history of Tamil Nadu conducted exclusively for the old age people and widows. This conference was conducted under the leadership of Mrs. Rachel David and a team of 15 members from World Christian Ministries UK. The pastors, wives and choir members were the caretakers of the conference. More than 250 widows and old age people became a part of this wonderful conference. The team members comforted them during the conference and their legs and hands were massaged with the best quality sweet smelling oil. Delicious and mouth-watering lunch was served to them for three days. All the team members encouraged them and sang good melodious songs. All the oldest people and widows had tears in their eyes for the affection and care shown by the team. Each team member in England had walked 15 miles to collect the funds to conduct this conference. Bethel City Cathedral greatly appreciates the sacrifice done by the team members to make this conference highly successful. Every person was blessed richly and they left with fond memories of the conference. taster of what we did in India and uh, in June we're going to be doing that in Uganda with the widows there and uh, a lot of the money that you raise here in um, in this church uh, next year will be going towards uh, 
looking after the women in Uganda and uh, a really exciting project because uh, for six and a half thousand pounds we can buy some land build a widow's home on the land with a wow center on the side where they can come and meet and receive friendship support and food and uh, we can um, furnish it with agricultural implements so they will work the land and they can sell food and it can become self-sustainable all for six and a half thousand pounds isn't that incredible so when we go over in june we will be holding a wow day we will be treating these women like uh, princesses and we will actually be raising money um, we will actually be using the money raised to buy some land our project leader is already looking at the land there so that we can actually have a widow's home for the more destitute ones we've got a widow's home in india called home of mercy that we opened following uh uh, one of our widows dying um, that we supported and uh, she was missing from the project on the on the Saturday our project leaders went to see her and she was dying alone at home nobody nobody even could bring her a glass of water so uh, the project leaders took her in and uh, you know brought, brought her to their home but you know we don't want our widows dying alone when I think of the care that we have in this country so we are opening widows homes for destitute widows and women so for six and a half thousand pounds, we're going to be fundraising over the next few months to purchase that land in Uganda to make a difference to the women there. So that's how you can be involved. So come and see me at the back afterwards, sign up now, get training and uh, make a difference to these women. I just want to spend a few moments looking at God's word and uh, hopefully just continuing to inspire you. Uh, about mission. Mission is something that I am absolutely passionate about, hopefully as you can tell. And uh, it was something that Jesus was passionate about. It's in God's heart. Uh, in James it says, pure and undefiled religion is this, caring for the widows and the orphans in their distress. And all through the Bible we can see God's heart for the poor. But if you can turn with me to Acts chapter 3, starting at verse 1, I'm going to read uh, verses 1 to 10. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man, lame from birth, was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. As he did, the men's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet and began to walk. Then walking, leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. I want to talk to you about when is enough enough. I've spoken to you about some of the widows in India, and I kind of came to the place where I just thought, enough's enough, I want to do something to change their world. It wasn't just born out of 
a sort of crying emotion because I have cried when I've seen their plight, but something else was actually present within me a lot of the time that I see the plight that they're in, and that is anger. Something makes me angry about the way that they're being, in tre uh, being treated. You know, many famous people in history have been motivated to action by unacceptable situations. The great Martin Luther King was determined to change the um, injustice of segregation and ill treatment of black people. Mother Teresa had to do something to reach out to the people in the slums of Calcutta. But what made them so passionate about change and what made them act? You know, Mother Teresa, I've read her book, and she said that she was a teacher in, the, in Calcutta. That was her that's what she went to do. But every day when she walked to the convent to teach, she had to pass by the people dying on the streets of Calcutta. And it came a moment where she had enough. She couldn't walk past them anymore without doing anything. And she went to her mother's superior and asked for permission to stop what she was doing and to reach out to the people of Calcutta. Enough was enough. And this account that we've just read talks about a, a, a crippled beggar uh, at the gate of the temple. And it would have been a really, really busy place. People would have been going by day after day. Yet day after day, here was this man begging at the temple. And it says in that very last verse, when they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. He'd obviously been there a lot because the people were amazed because they'd seen him there so often. And I began to think about that. And I thought, why was he still there after all that time? Why hadn't anybody taken him back to the house and kind of adopted him and looked after him and cared for him? There must have been so many people that walked past and ignored him and did nothing. But at that point, Peter and John did something. Now it says that actually they had no money. He looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have, I give to you. And I want to ask you a question this morning. What is it that motivates you to do something? And what have you got to give? That's kind of two questions, isn't it, really? What motivates you to do something? And what have you got to give? Gandhi said this, be the change you want to see in the world. I think that's kind of quite clever, really. Be the change you want to see. We all want to see change, but what are we prepared to do about it? Because it's very easy to leave it to somebody else to change the world, isn't it? Um, it must be about three years ago now, um, I was writing an article for our, our newsletter, and I was trying to uh, inspire people to do some fundraising for us. What could they do to fundraise for WCM? And it kind of came to me that I have to lead by example, really. What could I do? I know I go around talking about it, but what could I do to make a difference? And it was coming up to a big birthday, and I'll give you a little clue, it wasn't 30, sadly, that, that 10 years had passed. So I was coming up to a big birthday, and I thought, I can kind of tie this in, I can do something big for my 40th year, and a bit of a challenge, if you like. What can, what can I do to raise some money and have a bit of a fun and challenge in my 40th year? So I kind of thought, well, bungee jumping? Then I thought, no, I have to be slightly insane to do a bungee jump, and uh, sorry if anyone's done it. <laughs> um, and uh, then I kind of thought, well, you know, what, what else is there that I could do? I didn't really fancy jumping out of a plane. That sounds a bit scary. The parachute might not open. I might fall to my death. Not quite ready to do that yet. I thought, I like walking. I could do a walk. 
that, that could be it. So I want a bit of a challenge, so people sponsor me. So I Googled, I thought, I know I could do Ben Nevis, the highest mountain in Great Britain. So I put in Ben Nevis on, on Google, and it came up with 14 people die on the slopes of Ben Nevis last year. I thought, oh, I can't do that now. And I thought, no, do you know, I've got to do something, and I can. I was a bit unfit. I didn't want to kind of go into my 40s really unfit. So, um, for my 40th birthday, instead of getting a nice pair of shoes, you know, I got some walking boots from my mum and dad, big, clumpy, horrible, ugly things. And uh, so I put them on, and I decided I would start by walking to work. It's two miles down a hill, okay? So I got up, and I, I made my training plan, because I love planning stuff. So I planned it all out. I had six months to train, and uh, so I planned out how much I'd need to do to get fit. So I walked to work this first time, arrived at work after two miles. I'm ashamed to say, felt hot and dizzy. I felt ill after I had to sit down. <laughs> That's how unfit I was, okay? So anyway, month after month, I went out in the rain. Andy, of course, supported me by taking the mickey out of me because he said I looked like a golf stick with my skinny legs and big boots and then he laughed at me because I had my waterproof lovely waterproof trousers and cagoule on because if you're going to train you've got to train in all weather and it was winter as I was training and he you know he laughed at me and supported me like good husbands do and uh, anyway I started telling people what I was going to do no actually I didn't Andy started telling people what I was going to do and then there was no way I could get out of it because I couldn't lose face so I had to do it then so he started telling people what I was going to do. And lots of people said, I'd like to do that. So in the end, 13 of us went to do it. And we all did it. And we raised 5,000 pounds. And we uh, helped to refurbish a children's home in India with the money. So my example to you is, what can you do to help? Be the change you want to see. Get up and do something about it. So what injustice do you feel passionate about? For me... Obviously, it's, it's poverty and people living in poverty. What is it? Passion is the motivating force that drives you. Everybody should have passion. The motivating force that drives you. So what is it? World poverty, social injustice, child abuse, knife crime. There were some recent stabbings in the paper and uh, a woman lost her son, um, who was stabbed to death, and she said this in her press interview, I will live the rest of my life making sure that he didn't die in vain. She was motivated to action by something that had happened. You know, you might be tempted to think that mission is all about money. And of course, we couldn't do what we do without money. But money is only a small part of mission. Did you know that the Red Cross has one million volunteers all working together to make a difference? Silver and gold have I none, but perhaps I could use my annual holiday to go to Zimbabwe to help the children there. Silver and gold have I none, but maybe I could write a letter to the editor of a newspaper. Silver and gold have I none, but maybe I could become a governor at my child's school. Silver and gold have I none, but I could volunteer at a homeless hostel. Silver and gold have I none, but I could drive the elderly to hospital. Silver and gold have I none, but I could do a wow walk in April and raise some money for the widows in India and Africa. Number two, when you see with the eyes of Jesus. You know, many, many times 
in the accounts of Jesus' life, we hear the words, and Jesus was moved with compassion. We've had passion, the motivating force that drives you. Compassion, a deep distress welling up inside of you. Has anybody actually been and seen uh, a a beggar? Have you walked past a beggar? Because I have. And you know it's really, really hard to walk past and do nothing. How can you walk past that pitiful sight and do nothing? Yet obviously, people in the account in this uh, story in Acts had been walking past and doing nothing. But you know, Peter and John didn't just walk past. They didn't have silver and gold, but they gave what they had. What was it that they had? What I have, I give to you. You know what they had? They had Jesus inside of them. They had the power of the Holy Spirit inside of them. And if you're a Christian today, you can do anything with the power. I've got the power. The power inside of you. Because Jesus said, all things are possible. You have power, authority, passion, and compassion. Silver and gold have I none. Prayer, ability, influence, time. Silver and gold have I none. Kindness, hospitality, food, shelter, help. Silver and gold have I none. Friendship, encouragement, comfort, love, and sympathy. All free. You know, when you see with the eyes of Jesus and a move with compassion, you cannot walk past and do nothing. We think of the account of the prostitute in the Bible, Mary. You know, she knew that she had done wrong. She knew the penalty if she was caught in those days. It was to be stoned to death. I'm sure many people thought she deserved her punishment. But you know, Jesus didn't think so. And when you see with the eyes of Jesus, you see a completely different side to the story. What did Jesus see? Given a better start in life, she could have been different. If she perhaps had been shown some love and compassion and respect when she was younger, she might have made something out of herself. If she'd had the opportunities that we have, she could have been different and made different choices. She looked into the eyes of Jesus. What do people see when they look into our eyes? Do we just walk past and ignore people? Or do we see them with the eyes of Jesus? You know, her life changed forever. Jesus stood up for her. One act of mercy that impacted a life. Number three, when legacy is more important than life, it's Remembrance Sunday. and We've had the band. But you know, in India, there's a graveyard and it's got um, uh, an arch over the top of it. And it says these words, which I know are very familiar um, with war graveyards, go home and tell them we gave our today for their tomorrow. In Galatians 6 verse 9 it says, let us not become weary of doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. I believe our lives should have an impact. I believe we have a destiny to fulfill and that we we should have an impact with our life. And you know, sometimes you can think that the world's problems are too big and there is no way that you can have an impact. And I I actually have to not think like that consciously because when I go, there's always hundreds more widows on the streets. There's always hundreds more children begging. There's always so many more thousands, millions, billions of people that we could help. I can't afford to think like that. Our slogan is, we can't change the world, we can change someone's world. You know, you can change someone's world. And there's a quote and it makes me smile. And it says, 
If you think that you are too small to have an impact, try going to bed with a mosquito. Great, that isn't it? Okay, I believe that we can change someone's world. I obviously believe that message, otherwise I wouldn't be speaking it to you. So let's take a lesson from that tiny little mosquito and start taking small but meaningful chunks out of these problems today. You know, let's give our life to change someone's tomorrow. We actually um, are just started to support another 10 widows uh, in a tsunami affected area. We already support a group down there uh, in India, 10 widows, and it costs £100 to feed them and um, to give them hygiene items and to support them, £100. And I'm just looking for 10 people today maybe to give £10 a month to help those widows. We've just taken them on in faith. We don't have the money to do that yet. And uh, so if you can help with those 10 widows down there in Kudalore in South India who lost everything in the tsunami. You know, when we're talking about widows, we're not actually necessarily talking about elderly, although a lot of them are. Some of them are younger than me and they've lost everything. If you can help with 10 pounds a month and change someone's world, come and have a chat with me, have a chat with Andy. You know, don't make him redundant this weekend and uh, change someone's world. Thank you.